Dialoguing on South Asia, we explore the lives of its people, hear their stories and the histories of the land, discover its beauty, and encounter its conflicts, complexities, and harmonies in a search for liberty, peace, and prosperity. Interacting with leaders, activists, academics, and common folk from the South Asian sphere about their work and their passions, their dreams and their life journeys, their immigrant experiences, advocacy efforts, religion, politics, and so much more with this, your host, journalist and author Peter Friedrich. Hand in hand, we meet and stand with South Asia. This is DOSA. Welcome to the show, and today we are privileged to be able to speak with Dr. Obed Manwatkar. Uh, Dr. Obed, he is a professor for uh, religions and cultures at North Park University in Chicago area. And Dr. Obed, uh, you and I actually, we first met uh, at this 2018 protest, if I recall correctly, in Chicago area, which was a protest against the World Hindu Congress, the uh, very um, uh, gloriously, uh, perhaps boastfully named World Hindu Congress, which was an event hosted in America on American soil by this organization uh, known as the VHP, which is the religious or the cultural wing of this larger group called the RSS, which is the paramilitary back in India, which Beerheads currently the Hindu nationalist movement, which has kind of taken over that country at the moment. And uh, since then, um, I've been privileged to meet you once or twice uh, after that in person, stay in touch with you. And our conversation here today on, on, on the DOSA podcast has been a long time coming. And I've been really looking forward to this. And I want to delve into a lot of questions about your background. You're from India. You're an immigrant to America. And basically, I want to I want to throw out there uh, the question to launch this conversation. Oh, but what is your deal? You're a professor. You're an immigrant. Uh, you're a Christian from a Dalit background. You're also even a, a little bit of a musician. And uh, I want to ask if you can unpack all of that for our listeners. And maybe before we get back to touching on some of those questions and you unpacking it, uh, you are a musician. Um, I was wondering, uh, your mother tongue is Marathi. I was wondering if you would be willing to share with us a little bit of uh, Marathi singing as you're a singer and a guitar player. Right. First of all, thank you so much, Brother Peter, for having me on this podcast. And uh, I'm grateful for you and what you do uh, for my people. And I'm grateful for, appreciate your heart for my people and passion for my people. And yeah, of course, yeah, I am obeyed. And uh, I am uh, uh, the, what uh, Brother Peter introduced me is correct and uh, whatever information he has uh, said. But yeah, I am not a professional musician, but uh, I come from a music family and a musical background. And my whole family sings; we are gifted. And uh, uh, so, one of the ancient uh, Marathi uh, uh, hymn, uh, which is uh, uh, which is like which was a poetry of Saint Tukaram, Guru Tukaram, 
एंड दैट इट इज कंपोज बाय लेट सुरमणि प्रभाकर धाकड़े गुरुजी हु इज हु जस्ट पैस्ट अवे लास्ट इयर धाकड़े गुरुजी वॉज अ अंबेडकर म्यूजिशियन एंड ही कंपोज दिस म्यूजिक एंड सो हियर अ फ्यू लाइन्स इन मराठी वैकुंठी चेव आूतड़ा वैकुंठी चेव आूतड़ा धन्य तो आगड़ा पुंडलीक धन्य शक्ति भक्ति चीक्षाती धन्य भक्ति चीक्षाती तुका मने मुक्ति पायाडोरी वैकुंठी चेव सो द मीनिंग ऑफ द सॉन्ग इज गुरु तुकाराम इज तुकाराम प्रेयर एंड ही सर लाइक आय आय हैव सीन दैट ग्रेट आई हैव सीन द heavens wide open by kunt means i have seen the heavens wide open and the the lord of the heaven came down to this very earth and blessed is that pundalik he called him pundalik so uh, that that great human he he called him pundalik and great is uh, great is this power great is great is this devotion for the humanity and tuka says tuka says he said he said tukaram says the liberation is at my door is near my feet so the liberation has arrived uh very uh, near to me so by itself so that's the experience he's telling and he's he dreamed about pandarpur uh, pandarpur uh, pandarpur so all the saints uh, who are in radical bhakti movement they they had a dream so every dream just like guru nanak dreamed about sachkhand Uh, a place where all humans exist equally guru ravidas uh, dreamed about begampura a city without sorrow and pain so same with tukaram dreamed about pandharpur holy city without caste without uh, race without you no know, without gent like everyone would be treated equal so that's a similar kind of uh, uh, vision is there in the bible new jerusalem no new thing in, yes, in the new testament yes. so that's uh, the vision uh what saints will so that's the vision tukaram said like i have seen i have seen my beloved i have seen the beloved uh, heavens heavens are torn apart and he has come down and i am so tukamane mukti payadori liberation has arrived at my feet so liberation has the, arrived at my feet and i have seen yeah. my beloved and that is why I, liberation i have seen that beloved heavens wide open and the lord of heaven has come down to this very earth That's so, that's lovely, Obed, and thank you for sharing uh, that with us and and some of your musical talents. And we're going to uh, dig into some of that as our conversation unfolds. Uh, but before we do that, um, I want to ask, uh, you know, actually, as I'm looking at your your background right now, uh, you're an immigrant to America, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, don't want to dwell on this too long, but I, I believe you came in in 2017. Is that correct? Yes, I came in 2017. Yes, sir. 
And and so you came uh, just about six, seven years ago. But uh, on the wall behind you, I, I see a football helmet for, for an American football helmet. And uh, I myself, not a big fan of sports, uh, but I do uh, tend to enjoy watching when it's on world football. Not a big American football fan myself. But uh, can you can you tell us about that for just a moment? Uh, no, I'm not an American football fan. That's just American uh, football showpiece. <laughs> I'm not an American football fan. That's just showpiece. Okay. So that's like a toy, yeah, for the kid. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I well, don't watch American football. Well, well, that's a lovely showpiece, and, and I see all the books uh, behind you, um, and uh, quite uh, quite a large uh, display there of of volumes. And we're going to dig into that. So, sure. or dig into maybe not that so much, but what maybe those which I imagine are connected to your to your current situation have had as far as an influence on on you and what you think today and what you're doing now uh you are a christian from a dalit background so now you and i know each other you, you know what i know but um many of the people that are listening today may not know everything that you and i both know question is then from that perspective for a lay person for the person that may not be already in the know, what is a Dalit? What is a Dalit? And then beyond that, um, do you identify today as a Dalit Christian or as a Christian from a Dalit background or, 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 or and how does all of that influence your overall yeah. worldview and, 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 and yeah. life? Yeah, that's, uh, that's really a, a good question to begin with. That the, well, this uh, this the answer to this question is not much complex. Dalit, the word Dalit literally means oppressed and broken person, and uh, uh, so oppressions oppression are of different kinds. So uh, oppression means uh, not just physically harming, physical violence or physically cha chained person who is oppressed, but uh, there are different forms of oppression. And uh, as far as India, the land of India is concerned, and the, there has been a system called caste, uh, and it's continuing. It's, it continues in different various forms. And uh, so Dalit, uh, to define Dalit is means oppressed, and uh, and the caste exists uh, uh beyond uh, in every religion right now so every every religion has been infected with this idea of caste uh, even christianity uh, even islam even sikhism even uh, buddhism you can, you can see even uh, even uh, uh, jainism so caste has infected every religion and so today uh, the identity of being dalit uh, is beyond uh, religious settings or something. So there is a group called Dalit Christians. They call themselves Dalit Christians. And uh, and so converting to religions uh, doesn't uh, change your caste behavior or caste status, I could say. 
indeed converting to religion is something it gives you new identity fine i was this but now i am this so this is my new identity that is fine but social status economical status and all that remains as it is and so uh, so being a christian from a third generation uh, dalit background my grandfather my grandfather uh, was a dalit and uh, he he grew up in dalit family and uh, the basically mahar the mahars of maharashtra the great mahars and so we have mahar battalion as well in uh, indian army so and, and, the and, mahar, and mahar mahar is a specific caste. subset or a caste yes. of, of of the dalits which is yes. isn't it considered within that paradigm it's one of the lower ones yes Yes, and Mahars, uh, uh, the Mahatma Jyotiba Phule, he defines uh, Mahari. He he defines Mahars in his uh, famous uh, book Gulamgiri, or you call slavery. He defines Mahars at Maha and Ari. He he uh, he divides this uh, one word into two, and uh, he said Maha means great, Ari means enemies. So Ari, uh, so Maha Ari, the great enemy of Brahmanism or Hinduism or caste system. A great enemy of Hindutva or Brahmanism is Mahar. And so Mahatma Jyotiba Phule defined them in this way. And uh, uh, so my grandfather was from Mahar community and uh, he come, came from Mahar community. And my village, uh, uh, which is called Dhape Wada, and that uh, that village uh, is known as Mini Pandharpur. That's why I sang uh, Tukaram songs and Tukaram songs. Because this... the uh, songs of Tukaram has been a legacy and heritage for the village and there. So uh, it's a, it's called as Mini Pandarpur, pan, uh, Mini Pandarpur and uh, so Mini, because Mini, Mini, Mini Pandarpur. There is one okay. city called Pandarpur in Maharashtra, but my village is known as Mini Pandarpur. Okay. In outskirts of Nagpur, Mini Pandarpur. Why it is one of the it is one of the what you say pilgrimage site of for for the pilgrims. So every year the Varkaris, uh, the Varkari, the followers of Tukaram and Naneshwar and uh, all these saints, they walk miles and miles of it to to Pandarpur for a month, barefoot, to sing singing hymns and all to uh, to 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 impress their deity. Means like in in their town, there's a deity called Vithala. Now it has become a deity and caste deity. So uh, so to to go to Pandarpur and to worship and to uh, that is like a pilgrimage for them. So, Mini Pandarpur, why it is called Mini Pandarpur? Because the river in which uh, Tukaram, uh, I see, there are two stories of Tukaram. Some say that he just he was just uh, uh, resurrected to heaven directly, you know. And there is another uh, storyline of Tukaram that he was. So, 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 uh, so we're, we're jumping into this very fast, yeah. Obed. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm talking about Mini uh, Pandarpur. Tukaram. So Tukaram is Tukaram. very, very influential to many Pandapur. Uh, yeah. When was Tukaram alive? When did he? Yeah, it is. It was like a, it was synonym to uh, means like uh, uh, basically like Kabir, Tukaram, Ravidas. They are all from the same contemporary period. Uh, so uh, that, that that was when was that? Five hundred. I think fourteen hundred. Oh yeah, before Guru Nanak era, okay. before Sikh okay. era, before Sikh era. These saints existed. And Sikh era so, began about 1469, I believe. 
Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So before, see, like 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, these the saints evolved in those uh, uh, era. Okay. And so, uh, Tukaram, so the story of the mini Pandarpur is like Tukaram, the, the second story that Tukaram was assassinated and his, uh, his book, Tukaram Gatha, in which he wrote poetry, uh, it was thrown away in the Chandrabhaga river, in the river Chandrabhaga, name of the river. So that, uh, so that the belief in my village is that those uh, poetries floated and so, uh, so in my village, there is a small river called Chandrabhaga, which flows from Pandarpur to uh, on that direction. So, like whole Chandrabhaga River is like is filled with Tukaram's poetry about hymns and all. So that's why it's a holy river, they say. So that's why Chandrabhaga River is uh, one part of Chandrabhaga River is in my village. So that's why uh, it's called as Mini Pandarpur. So there is a huge temple of Uttala there, and so. Uh, that's why it's known as Mini Pandarpur. So those are the reasons. Small town. Means like if you cannot afford to go to Pandarpur, come to Mini Pandarpur, Thapiwada, and do your pilgrimage here, all the rituals here. So that's one of the things. So yeah, my grandfather well, that, was in that village. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to touch, uh, uh, not just touch on, but like really dig into the story of your grandfather a little bit later on uh, yeah. as we progress. Uh, that's a yes. really lovely story about that idea that this this Sentokram that uh his writings thrown in the river and they've mingled with the waters of the river and now they're flowing down the waters are are um uh intermingled uh with those those verses those those verses which have led to this place being known as we're gonna touch on as I believe you called it the holy castlist city which is comparable to some other ideas in this era of, of India that were introduced about uh, uh, elsewhere, about Begampura, the, the, the city without sorrow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, before we, we move on, though, I, I just wanted to retouch on this idea again, Obed. When I was talking with you, um, you specifically referred to yourself as not as a Dalit Christian, but as a Christian from a Dalit background. Briefly, can I ask you to explain from, from your perspective, why would you um, make that distinction? Well, uh, I... I uh, uh, <laughs> well, I said, like, I, I did say that I'm a Christian, because uh, uh, in my opinion, Christ gave me a new identity, and uh, I have a new identity in Christ. But uh, being a Mahar, I'm, I boast on it. I'm, I'm proud to be a Mahar of Ambedkar and uh, Baba Sahib. And so I'm proud to be a Mahar because uh, because that uh, that uh, that connects me with, with my roots. So Christianity being my religion, I have not forgotten my roots. So that's why I, I said that I'm a Christian by faith, but a Dalit by my background, so that I, because Baba Sahib himself said, like, wherever I go, I will not forget my community. I will continue to share their miseries and happiness wherever I go. So that is like, that is literally inspired, inspired me to connect with this, like, 
yeah many people don't like that using mahar you know like no we should not use this because it's a caste identity and all that but that's okay uh, but uh, many like uh, uh, many saints uh, one of the varkari saints follow uh, with tukaram who was chokha mela saint chokha mela he was also varkari saint in that saint tradition he he called himself i am mahar of mahars in his poetry so the way guru ravidas says no i class chamara i am a chamar of chamars class chamara so he chokha uh, mera says i am a mahar of mahar so that is like relating with your roots so i have my roots i know my roots i am well connected with my roots and i follow my faith which is my freedom of expression of my faith uh, uh, in enshrined in the constitution of india article 19 so that's why i said i am a christian by faith and dalit by my background and i, I love that uh, a new identity but not forgetting and even being proud of of your roots now you grew up in nagpur maharashtra uh quickly before i ask you some questions about that for for our listeners where is maharashtra exactly in india most people have no geographical sense of the nation of india yeah maharashtra maharashtra is like in uh, central india we can say uh, uh, not exactly central but my hometown nagpur is in center of india so it's right in the so zero mile begins from my hometown okay. nagpur and, so, and it, it, it's mostly flatlands isn't it yes so flatland okay yeah so we so, we don't have any any threats of earthquakes floods storms <laughs> so we are safe <laughs> that must be a beautiful thing to live in a geographical location where there are no natural calamities which tend yes. to threaten you i yeah, know i yeah. grew up in california and uh for us it was earthquakes and wildfires um <laughs> but i want to ask you about nagpur nagpur is an interesting city uh because among other things it is the headquarters of this organization which i mentioned a few minutes ago the rss this paramilitary hindu nationalist group uh which is pushing this 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 hindu nationalist agenda uh, across all of india but you've talked about the city's interfaith legacy uh now actually putting a pin in that for a second I want to come back to the interfaith legacy before I do that I don't want to dwell on this in our conversation too much about the hindu nationalist elements in india that's a conversation for another time but I just have to know since you did grow up in what is kind of today unfortunately the heartland of the rss what was that like I mean did you did you notice the rss perhaps on the streets as you were growing up Uh, did you think about it then as a, as a child in nagpur what do you think about it now today uh, all grown up and and what is your perspective on the rss especially your perspective on the rss as you are a christian from a dalit background that's a great question what's my perspective on rss okay how do i see rss and how see as far as growing uh, born and brought up in nagpur and uh, we used to in our childhood days uh, my rss headquarter is like 2 uh, and a half kilometers away like a mile away from uh, uh, one and a half mile away from my house and so 
we used to go uh, near the rss headquarter there is a huge playground called rashimbak playground and we used to go and play cricket there our slim kids <laughs> and uh, and the funniest part it is and uh, it doesn't matter it goes in public but I, i'm telling you this is a childhood fun story i'm telling you after playing cricket <laughs> there are no toilet systems in uh, in uh, in india uh, there were no uh, public toilet systems it is just a new thing in india public <laughs> so uh, we kids ha- had a, had an had a habit to piss on the walls or piss on the roads to pee so after playing after we are done playing cricket we'll go we'll drive our cycles go play cricket and we are done after playing cricket match and all so we would come back and we will we would piece on the headquarters wall rs headquarters wall and then uh, we would of course uh, that rashim background of the rss uh, things they they do their parades and all in the morning and what happens there and so uh about the things about savarkar and those stories savarkar the great you know and uh, savarkar was a great man and vande mataram song and sanskrit uh, some chants and all and you know, then right so we we never participated in that but uh, we we used to see them observe them piss on the wall and and then go back home so 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 it was like in, in between pissing on the walls of the RSS headquarters um but, you would, but, uh, you, would you would you would see them because uh for for the listeners who may not understand as no. a paramilitary the RSS uniformed and they do parades throughout the marches in the streets yes. so you would see that as as you were going up i have seen i have seen that the marches means like uh, see RSS headquarters is like located in one area and one one little bit of uh, one small uh, area that is very small area mahal we call it and it's all marketplace you no know, it's a huge market the wholesale market you can get any kinds of designer clothes and whatever wholesale market area and there is a palace ancient palace of raghujiraja bhosle there uh, one of the kings in nagpur and uh, that palace is palace doesn't exist that that has become a another court or something that is something government uh, office now so that that's like a very public place and in in such a market area crowded area you know like the times square of new york you see so in the times square there is small office kind of thing that kind of thing is rss building there right now so it's a whole market where people literally don't care what they, what is happening there but there is a tight security out there and uh, right now you know it's that security and all that but at at our times in our childhood there was not much that security and all that so we could roam around and all so rss uh, uh but i see like a uh, literally like people people when people shame nagpur my hometown because uh, like right now nagpur uh, calling a nagpurian is like something as like no nagpur is not famous for rss and that's what my narrative is nagpur is not famous for rss nagpur is famous for ambedkar's dhamma kranti what it did the world's largest ever conversion ever happened in the history of humankind uh, 6 million followers co- converted to buddhism on 14th october 1956 that was my hometown that dr ambedkar did that you know under his leadership that was the world's largest conversion happened you know there are there there is national council for churches in india the central office the 
head office of national council for churches in india there is there are zoroastrian there is zoroastrian uh, people there there were four jewish families there living there now they, they migrated some migrated to mumbai and some migrated back to the palestine area so whatever so so and then there is gurudwara singh sabha so there is gurudwara singh sabha there means gurudwara the huge gurudwara is there there are jain there are jain temples both of the denominations shwetambar and digambar you can find there there is buddhism headquarters there is christianity there is there are shrines sufi shrines of tajuddin baba the aliya movement the aliyas the, the shrines of aliya and there are there there are uh, uh, there are like uh, varkari tradition is there tukaram tradition means tukaram tradition uh, so there was saint jagnade who compiled all his uh, poems and all to saint jagnade square is there there is rashtra sant tukloji maharaj uh, one of the contemporary saints with gadge baba nambedkar so he worked in nagpur area as well nagpur university uh, is named behind uh, on his name rashtra sant tukloji maharaj nagpur university that is also monotheistic uh, same bhakti movement he ran so there are, there is lot of varieties in nagpur so nagpur is not just rss and no one cares about rss and what how do we define rss to be very honest as far as i have observed from childhood rss calls them sangh parivar and parivar means family and what do you mean by family woman man in the general perception man woman husband wife and kids that is family correct correct but this parivar this parivar is unmarried They never yes, married. That, that's that's quite a tradition within the RSS. And, and they call themselves a family. They remained celibate. And they, they, they never yeah. married. Yeah. And they never married. So what <laughs> what I define RSS RSS is a bunch of old dudes who are frustrated from uh, because they are not married. So uh, that's why they are frustrated. And in this in this old age, they want to take out that frustration on the society. That's why they they manipulate the people. Hey, this don't don't do this and don't do that. They just want to give the gyan of religion. They 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 call themselves gyani. They they are the most master masterpiece and Vishwaguru or blah blah blah. So so these are a bunch of old dudes who have nothing to do, who are frustrated from life. So they take out their frustration on them. So that's how I uh, that's how I say what RSS is and. And it's okay. It goes in perfectly. <laughs> we just said that because literally, literally, everyone in Nagpur, all of the even even my uh, other other faith friends, they will say that. They will say this. What I said. So any localite from Nagpur. <laughs> so the RSS. You just mentioned that they do call themselves or refer to themselves as uh, the Vishwa Guru, which means like a teacher of the world, which is how they want to project themselves. But that's a very interesting summary or definition of the RSS's. Uh, basically, I suppose, uh, from what you've just said, a bunch of old, sexually frustrated, unmarried men who have no better thing to do than to attempt to impose their frustrations, work out their frustrations on the rest of the world and bother everybody else. Now, as as you just touched upon, I think that's fantastic what you just said about Nagpur. The Nagpur really needs to become known uh, for what it really is, which is 
well beyond the RSS. It's this city uh, that, as you've referred to in our in our prior conversations, a, a city with a really quite a interfaith legacy. Uh, you've called it, I believe, in conversation with me, a central hub of the majority of the world's religions. I think we've already just touched upon that with everything you just went into with all of this background of the Gurdwaras, the Viharas, the, the Masjids, the 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 so so much of this other uh, uh, diversity of faith, Zoroastrianism, etc. Um, before we move on, was there anything you wanted to say about Nagpur as far as uh, yes, that yes. idea about it being an interfaith city? Yeah, interfaith city. Uh, it's a Nagpur. Uh, of course, crop wise, we are famous for oranges, so we produce oranges. So we produce cotton as well cotton so i have a cotton farm there so i'm a cotton farmer family so uh so nagpur uh famous for interfaith legacy uh it became famous uh and i just want to share this story about my city in my hometown please the safest area in nagpur today is called mominpura Mominpura means Momin means Muslim Muslims area Pasmandas and Jula Pasmanda Muslims Junahas and and other 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 communities they live there and uh, this this Mominpura place is the safest place I I never seen such a safest place why I call I call it safest because even in the midnight two thirty a.m. you can see women walking on the streets chatting with people you know and no one will dare to eat teaser. If someone tries to do that, the other shop owners will come and... Uh, just to interject, yeah. uh, Eve Teasy yeah. is kind of a South Asian term, basically. It means like yes. sexually yeah. harassed on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No one can dare to Eve Tease a girl, even in uh, in the night 2.30am. And that place is always open. Till 4am, 5am, you go, uh, go have your biryani or whatever food you want and... You know, if you're a foodie, if you need some uh, some other snacks like ice creams or whatever. So it's a huge uh, uh, hub. So Nagpur, in, I'm talking about interfaith legacy. What happened in Nagpur in 1960s? This story of Nagpur is famous. In 1960s, after after the after Ambedkar passed away, uh, so 1960s era. There was a conflict, a communal strife between Buddhists and Muslims. Means Mahars who became Buddhists and Muslims, the Pasmandas, uh, Pasmanda Muslims. So there was a conflict between uh, Buddhists and Muslims, and they tore each other apart. Many people, they many people died in that uh, strife, communal violence, and. Rashtrasant Tukuloji Maharaj, who's uh, on his name, Nagpur University is mentioned. Rashtrasant Tukuloji Maharaj, he was alive and he was diagnosed with cancer at that time. And he was in the hospital. And all his uh, uh, mouth, like there was anima, they, they were giving um, food from uh, like all the saline bottles and all he was surrounded. And, and he came to know this news that this has happened in Nagpur. What he did is he asked his assistant, I need to go to my ashram, which is located in a uh, outskirts of, of uh, in the village called Mosri. He has his ashram, Gurudev Ashram. 
He said, I need to call a meeting in Ashram right now. So take me to the Ashram. He, doctors permitted him. Okay, but they said like, we will have our assistance with you. Nothing should happen to you. Because he was a saint kind of figure. No? So he had he had a lot of privilege. So that kind of saint privilege. He came to Ashram, called a meeting of all the uh, faith leaders, religious leaders. So in that meeting, Archbishop D'Souza of the church. Then it, there was a by Granthi, not remember the Granthi, Gyani, Gyani uh, Gurvinder Singh, I think, uh, Jail Singh or Gurvinder Singh, I don't know, but uh, one Granthi was there from Gurudwara. And then uh, then there was Bhadanta Ananda Kausalyan uh, from Buddhist. Uh, Buddhist leader. And Vadanta Ananda Kausal is famous in Ambedkarite uh, Buddhism. He translated all, most of the uh, works of Baba Sahib in uh, Hindi. So, uh, so he founded Buddha Bhumi in Nagpur. So, so uh, Vadanta Ananda Kausalyan, Archbishop D'Souza, Gyanis Singhji, then uh, Maulana, Padma Bhushan Maulana Abdul Karim Parekh. He's from also he's also from Nagpur, but Padma Bhushan what he is. So 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 this this Hindu Swami he brought together he brought together yes. Christian he brought leader, together all Sikh these. Buddhist yeah. Muslim leaders yes and he gave a twenty minute sermon on power of praying together and that sermon is still in the All India Radio archives twenty minute sermon no he sermon he he explained the power of prayer to praying together. If our all religions talks about humanity, where the heck is our humanity gone? Why people are tearing each other apart? If Quran talks about humanity, if your Buddhist scripture talks about humanity, where have where is your humanity? Can we at least, if all of you, if all of your religions, if all of our religions are very good for sake of humanity, can we come together and pray for our country, for the welfare of our country? Can this be possible? Because then he explained the power of prayer and the huge sermon, 20-minute sermon. That was the day. That was the day of the foundation of the Peace and Reconciliation Commission in, in India. So even before Archbishop Desmond Tutu, you know, uh, had an idea of forming a Peace and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, I believe that my God was working in India through Rashtrasantukuloji Maharaj. And uh, he uh, he called that meeting, and that meeting, that formation of peace and they, this peace and reconciliation committee, uh, this model is now copied by every police department and government department. Have Aman Shanti Samiti now. I was the part of Aman Shanti Samiti when I was in Nagpur, active in Nagpur. So our job is whenever we see something happening, whenever we get a hint. That okay, this mob is coming from here, that mob is coming from here. So our job is to call the collector, police, please come soon and defuse the violence and take control. So that was our job to resolve the conflicts and all. So Rasasan Tukuloji Maharaj did, uh, did that. And since then, I'm telling you, Nagpur has been peaceful. Even in the tsunami of hate, you see all over North India. You won't find any news of communal clashes in Nagpur right now, even today. You 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 must be hearing news since 2014. This is happening. That is happening. No, 
this person is lynched here, there, whatever. Nagpur is still peaceful. Even today, I'm telling you, the impact of that uh, interfaith legacy is so huge. Even today, if I go to a tea shop, having chai, chai shop, and if I try to have this communication, no, you know, these Muslims, no, uh, I, we have to teach them a lesson or something. Or Like if I talk this kind of language, or these Christians, no, we, we need to... They, suddenly, any elder, if, if any elder is standing there, listening to this corner, he will come. He will pull my ear. He'll say, get the hell back to work. That is like uh, culture now. That even our elders in Nagpur, they won't uh, love. Any, so that is uh, uh, that is the impact of that interfaith legacy I'm talking about. That peaceful peace and progress and reconciliation. So Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, and uh, Jains, Buddhists, they all live together in one city. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I have to confess for myself, one, I did not know that Nagpur is known for its oranges. That is new information to me. I look forward to trying one of them someday. Um, I also, I did not know that about the interfaith legacy of Nagpur, and that is revelatory eye-opening to me and it just strikes me that maybe with more conversations hearing from you as a Nagpur native that maybe the city's reputation can be properly and justifiably rehabilitated uh, as I think it, it's, beginning, it's beginning to sound like it deserves to be a rehabilitated reputation but I wanted to ask you um about your own background in Nagpur growing up. Now, you came from Nagpur, now you're in Chicago, very different environments. Uh, but from my conversations with you, I uh, wasn't quite clear. Do you do you have a slumdog millionaire story to share with us? Uh, you, you've told me that you, you grew up in you, you grew up in a slum. Yeah, go ahead. I have a slumdog, so but every slum dog has his own story. So I, so I'll start from my grandfather village. Okay. I'll come to my, my grandfather grew up as a Mahar. Uh, so we were all ancient Varkaris, Varkaris, followers of Karam and all. So uh, what happened is there was a woman, her name was Peggy Martin and she was a doctor. She was a white woman, white missionary. Uh, not missionary, she was a doctor, medical doctor. She opened a dispensary in my village. And uh, she and used to buy this. You're, you're not talking about a cannabis dispensary, right? No, no, just a small, uh, uh, basically a room medical with four beds. Yeah. With four beds, three to four beds. That's a small, like, nursing home uh, for for people who are sick, and she would treat the sick. There was no yeah. modern transportation in that time. So she used to write bullock cards. And on bullock cards, she would carry the pregnant women or sick. To, that was her ambulance, basically. So And so what happened is there was a huge uh, rumor in the village. There was a huge rumor, rumor in the village that this white lady, whatever uh, she, she gives her some, she gives us some, some kind of jadi booty, they call it. Uh, jadi booty means a, uh, some kind of uh, 
uh, thing to eat and before that he does she does something uh, magic does some magic black magic or something and 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 by it uh, after that we eat that and within a within a day we get healed so there is some power in this lady that's what the tendency of it. so most of the it's like uh, nearby four or five villages they would come to her dispensary to get treated whenever they are sick with fever or any any kind of uh, no common cold or whatever so so the the magic was what she would do she would give modern medicine <laughs> and she would pray over the medicine okay she will pray over the people give medicine and people would take that medicine and they will they would get healed so seeing that compassionate heart and which is which was happening in my village itself a student of uh, a, a teenager 13 year old teenager my grandfather saw that and then he kept asking her questions what makes you do this and what is this so she tell like jesus and uh, you know this is this is the book i follow and this is the thing so in the conversation he came he he became christian uh, means like not this not just instantly but it was a it was a long conversation no it took many days and all so then he got baptized in, uh, and then uh, later she moved her dis, uh, dispens that uh, later this dispensary moved to city and that that dispensary now is known as muir memorial hospital in city of nagpur in the place called sitabardi muir memorial hospital so but now that dispensary place there was nothing so what happened is they uh so my grandfather was very uh evangelistic or you know very passionate christian you know and they saw his passion and all uh, his uh, uh, his desire to read the bible more to know god more and that kind of thing so what they did what uh, this doctor team of doctors said like why don't you open a church here so they planted that that dispensary turned into a church and my grandfather was a wanted as a as a uh, deacon of the church and then then uh, later on my grandfather and all everyone moved to the cities and we they they moved to the pachpali slums and uh, so they started going to the city church the same church but same branch but big church in the city the same denominations branch which was in the city and there he sees the horrors of colonialism and uh, exp experiences the racist so, attitude so, uh, of the white christians so i'm coming to my story i'm coming to my story so so then they say, he said like okay we will plant our own that the few people rebel we will plant our own church he plants a church that church is still standing nagpur union church and uh, crowd funded and all that you know it relies on people's people's donations and local people donate local people do give offering and it relies on the offerings and rights uh i grew up in pashpauli i grew up in pashpauli slums nagpur and it was a hub of panthers dalit panthers you you have heard about this movement dalit panthers so it can, was can, one can, of the can can you uh, a couple of quick things uh, of that yeah. can i ask you um from the indian perspective in context of those of us here in america who most of us have never even experienced or seen anything like this what is a slum 
in Indian context. And then on that issue of, of, of the Dalit Panthers, you said this was a hub of the Dalit Panthers. We talked about what Dalits are, what were the Dalit Panthers? So what is a slum in Indian context and what are the Dalit Panthers? So slum in Indian, uh, slums are, uh, slums were uh, people who are poor, financially they live, but we uh, as a community, uh, we are being segregated by the system of caste. So, the caste segregation, the, this system enables to keep entire community into poverty, into and to live a life without dignity and uh, not good houses, no good homes, you know, uh, and pri caste privileged people, they live in the uh, they have big houses, you know, and uh, that townhouses, houses like that, big bungalows and all. But and, and in this uh, area, do you have running water? Do you have indoor plumbing? Do you have electricity? Do you have no? We streets? we at our times like we used to steal the electricity <laughs> from the pole. So like we used to illegal electricity. But right now, now like things uh, when I saw in twenty nineteen when I went to like now things have improvised. We have water, we have electricity, uh, people have made good houses, people have empowered themselves, uh, basically. So like rickshaw pullers, auto drivers, you know, these kind of work uh, people. So uh, uh, the farm laborers, so these kind of background people, uh, my neighbors had, you know, labor, labor background. Laborers, laborers, yeah. Those who are cheap laborers and uh, the empowerment the... has that come about uh, uh, as a result of of this dalit panthers being there so so active at that time yeah what happened is and, like and, my and grandfather yeah yeah, yeah dalit panthers like my grandfather worked in a income as a in a nagpur municipal corporation as a tax collector part-time job he, he, he had that job so so when i grew up in a slums uh so i uh i see i see uh, I uh, see that Dalit Panthers a lot. Uh, means like Panthers uh, activists. Dalit Panthers was a movement as started in 1972 by few people uh, named Namdev Dasar, Raja Thale, Ron Kamre, uh, and uh, second line leader is Dr. Ramdas Athaule, who is now Minister of State of Social Justice and Empowerment in Government of India. So Athaule. And uh, uh, Prakash Ambedkar, Bada Sahib Ambedkar was also in this movement. And so he was young uh, guy that time, like very young. So these people have start, uh, started, this uh, This was like a, uh, inspired from Black Panthers of United States. So this, uh, this movement uh, uh, created resistance against the atrocities happening on uh, Dalits. So we Dalits face regular atrocities Till today, Dalits face atrocities. So in Maharashtra, it was too much. And Shiv Sena, the, uh, the pa political paramilitary wing of Bala Sahib Thakre, at that time was rising. And atrocities were happening all throughout the Maharashtra uh, state. Thakre, Thakre being at that time, he was, I believe, chief Thakre. minister of, uh, of Maharashtra. No, he was never, he was never was, a chief minister. But but he was an influential political force. He, he was a, he was an influential because his father was influential. And so, and so, so as he was, as, as under Shiv Sena, his 
organization, a militant organization, these yeah. these uh, atrocities were rising. So then, in yeah. in resistance, these Dalit Panthers. Yeah. yeah. So so in this uh, resistance, like uh, these whole writers and poets, Raja Dalai Namdev Dasal, this, this kind, these people were like uh, kind of thinkers, the poets, writers. They formed this Dalit Panthers to give a uh, uh, to to give an answer to the atrocities. So these people sparked the audience like, wow, like there is something. So Ambedkar is still alive and we will fight back now. Enough is enough. So and that time, Panthers were really like uh, roaring. And, and when I was growing up, I I, I grew up listening to Ramdas Athole, Prakash Ambedkar, Bada Sahib Ambedkar. These people, I, I grew up... Uh, uh, listening to Raja Dhale's uh, audio cassettes, you know his his uh, his he was a bomb. Like he they they say we don't give a s, we don't give a f, and you know that those words sayings that they would use and help with this India government and blah 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 and you know so so they would uh, fight back the atrocities. They would do protests. They would march. They would uh, they they would they would do. Uh, their resistance was totally with like with violence. Okay, violence. Answer to the violence is violence. Now, enough. We will also fight back. So where so that movement, uh, literally, uh, created an atmosphere in Maharashtra especially. If you go and stop uh, when Panther was active, literally, I have seen that in every square, any any uh, road or any any roadside. If you see few uh, crowd is standing uh, uh, any crowd is being there in a public place any public place you go and say i am the follower of ambedkar i am follower of baba Sahib. people will run away people would run away just saying that i am i am a follower of ambedkar that uh, power this this movement you no know, that literally like created like oh my goodness he is ambedkar it means my goodness he is dangerous we cannot do anything so so of course fighting fighting and movement and also police will police will <laughs> police would come and uh, do uh, and they will face police brutalities as well because we are fighting against government so government will send police you know so police would uh, stop by our slums every time every week once in a week police cars will see and so once uh, there was a turmoil there was a conflict uh, which i seen uh, uh, so and I was very young, like uh, I was like 10, 11 years of age, 10 years of age, kid, and my fourth grade. So uh, I came from school, <laughs> and I see there was there is some conflict, and police is coming, and police police were coming in in our town. So kids of my age, we were throwing stones on police. <laughs> we were stoning police. So I also. Joined them. Oh wow, it's fun, no? Let's grab a stone and throw. Grab a so, so, and then suddenly someone from my back, uh, like I was wearing shirt, so someone was pulling my shirt like this, and I was like, I use a slang, and I said, "Who the heck is this person?" And I saw it's daddy. <laughs> it's my daddy, <laughs> and he gave me a. He slapped me like, "Get out, get." Get home. Huh? So he deadline. So, so, <laughs> but uh, 
that was like rage and resistance, you know, the childhood days of uh, Panthers, which I see, and that aggression. And I was a Christian. Everyone, whole whole uh, community knew, Pachpauli slums, they knew this is a Christian family. We were the only, uh, there, there were, we, there, we were only two Christian families living in that slum area. Rest of our are Ambedkarite Buddhists. Uh, then uh, there were uh, OBCs, uh, other backward caste, uh, a few of the other backward caste people, they were living. So all those, those were financially poor and uh, by caste who are marginalized, it, that is the that is the area within. And opposite to our, our slum, there was a Balmiki slum. Balmiki slum means the, the system of uh, manual scavenging, you know, sanitation workers. So that. So slums, talking about slums, slums are a segregated area. People who are segregated, who are marginalized from the privileges of food, clothing and shelter, who are marginalized from the finances, who are marginalized from becoming rich, who are uh, who are marginalized from uh, education, mm. who are kept away from all the things which is needed for human being to become successful. Those that kind of segregation is slums. So slums yes. exist in India not because there there is some kind of a, uh, some kind of poverty or something. It is being systematized to make people live in that condition by the caste uh, system, uh, caste for uh, caste system. So that exists. So a slum in Indian context basically is like this area where everybody's kind of been pushed into it. They're from almost exclusively lower caste or outcast backgrounds. Yes. And they're, yes. they're kept there in order to cut them off from access to any kind of ability to uh, advance their lives or... Um, uh, uh, succeed by 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 climbing up that ladder of success, uh, including things like cut off from education. Even now, within that context, though, as you're telling these stories, Obed, um, I'm hearing about a lot of this um, resistance that is 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 uh, flourishing within these slums. These movements for um, uh, self-upliftment for recognizing and promoting the dignity of, of the person and uh, for just generally standing up and, 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 and uh, pushing forward to, to, to acknowledge that uh, underlying beauty of, of, of humanity and, and equality of humanity within that context. I want to come back to what you were referencing a little bit earlier about um, how uh, you grew up. You know, you have told me, I believe you said that you witnessed horrors of poverty, persecution, discrimination, abuse, colonialism and corruption. And that um, as that was happening, uh, tracing back to your grandfather after his conversion to Christianity, that he and some of the fellow members of his congregation, they uh, rebelled, your word, rebelled against the whiteness and caste practices of the church and went off to plant their own Marathi-speaking, Marathi being your mother tongue, Marathi-speaking uh, church in the city. Uh, you mm -hmm. uh, described it to me as the first ever agrarian indigenous church planting movement in central India in colonial and post-colonial era. 
Um, yes. So what what do you what do you mean by that? What is so significant about that, especially uh, the, the the whiteness aspect, the colonialist aspect of this uh, uh, breaking away to to stand up for the indigenous uh, church in India? And uh, you know, I think it's also tossing this out into the conversation and interesting point to consider uh, in context of the way that the modern Hindu nationalist movement portrays Christianity as somehow alien or foreign to India. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Yes. Uh, well, the uh, whiteness exists and uh, the problem of the whiteness is and uh, uh, we still have that and American church as far as see American uh, church, whiteness is threatened here. Whiteness feels threatened here. So I'll say it out loudly because that's the fact and that's the truth. And we are dealing with it totally. So uh, in India, whiteness uh, operates in a significant way. Uh, my grandfather, he faced, uh, uh, he uh, the discrimination was happening in the church itself. The discrimination was there were benches in the church, benches, sitting benches, and there was a floor, uh, there was a carpet. So Indian converts would sit on the carpet. And the whites and half-whites, the Anglo-Indians I'm talking about. So Anglo-Indians who are married to Brahmins or whatever upper caste, so-called upper caste. So uh, they're 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 that race. So Anglo-Indians. And they would have the privilege to sit on the chairs. And uh, my grandfather uh, and all these people, they would, well, you are like, and so they will have to face uh, this kind of uh, discrimination. And if anyone dares to sit on the bench, pastor from the podium will call, hey, why are you sitting there? Come and sit here. You are not supposed to sit there. While in the worship service as well. So, that was the fact. Second, there was there would be a communion, holy communion, Lord's Supper. In the times of Lord's Supper, we would get communion in different plates and cups. And they would get communion in different plates and cups. So, grandfather and all his associates, all those who, they, they few people, like our, our, our church fathers, I will say it, our church fathers, those who planted our church, our church fathers questioned this. Why the heck is this happening? So said like, no, that's like, that is what, no, this is not biblical. They, they, they confronted it like, this is not biblical. You cannot do that. It is nowhere in the Bible. No, nowhere Paul says it, nowhere Jesus has said it, nowhere blah, 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 you know. So in the doctor, so no, that's like like even in even not in your doctrines, even in your not in your doctrinal book or something that this could happen. There is no law like that, you know. And on the other hand, this uh, uh, and they say like, are we face discrimination a lot, and we came for healing. We 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 faced a lot of discrimination in which we were, and now we are we are trying to see. That this is happening here as well. So, so they said like, if you don't like it, don't like it. But this is what what uh, the church authorities said. No, this is what we will practice, and this will continue. So they all said to hell with your church. 
to help with your church, we'll plant our own church now. So all this associate, they rebelled and they planted their own church. They, they bought land near to that church and uh, they bought a land. They raised money from their own pockets. They bought a land. They, they built up a building. They started their congregation. They started their uh, own. So, so that's Wakanda. <laughs> that, that Wakanda, you know, our own Wakanda. So that is the first ever, in my opinion, uh, the Marathi-speaking agrarian revolt, the church which which came from uh, revolt of against whiteness, and the caste supremacy, which is still exists in the church. Most of the majoritarian priests in the church today in India are from Brahmin background. I see few of the Dalit bishops and all. I, in my career as my Christianity, I didn't see any female uh, Bible college uh, director or Bible college uh, uh, or uh, bishop or something. Now it is happening. Now it is happening that females are getting paid. But patriarchy still rules the church. And uh, so that is there. And uh, so in Indian church, whiteness operates in a different way. Indians, Jesus, how doesn't matter how much we indigenize it, his skin color will be white. And he will wear a robe, sadhu robe or something. That is the imagination of that Indian Christian theology. That is garbage. I call it garbage. No. Means a white man becoming a Brahmin and doing yoga. That is Jesus. That is your imagination of being Christian. About Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible is a carpenter. He's a work, he's a labor class guy. He works hard. He calls himself a shepherd. He's talking about farmers. He's talking about uh, he's talking about Samaritans. He, he's empowering Samaritans who are who are Dalits in that context. Means he's hanging out with Samaritans. Means like untouchables at that time. He's hanging out with them. That's Jesus of the Bible. And this Jesus of the church was a white dude. <laughs> and when he goes to India, he wears a saffron robe and be does becomes a yogi. And that is the imagination of the church. So, church, imagination of the church is still Brahmanic, check all. And that's why Ambedkar's critic that, and uh, I agree with his critic that Church always associated with the Brahmins. What white white missionaries came to India, they, they thought that we, if we approach the Brahmins, the most high caste, so they will communicate the gospel and we'll this way we will Christianize India. So that's the idea of Christendom in a new Christendom, I say, reaching the unreached. Nowhere in the Bible it says unreached. This reaching the unreached thing is this is all colonial idea. Jesus never said that go and colonize the world. He said go and go here and make disciples. He didn't say colonize them. He didn't say he didn't say that uh, uh, Christianize them into indoctrinate them into believing the doctrinal part and blah 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 so that systematize them. This is all uh, layers of Christendom idea which continues to hyper rule the church and which has uh, that and this uh, and the irony of the Pauline. Uh, 
narrative, the Pauline. I don't agree with that. What Paul did, Apostle Paul, no, he he went to Europe and all that uh, missionary journeys. He approached the powerful people. No, he approached the powerful people so that they, so that Pauline uh, narrative also copied by also taken by Thomas Apostle Apostle Thomas was uh, Apostle of Jesus uh, Jesus came to India and he approached few Brahmins. And then, since then, Christianity began. He planted seven churches among the Brahmins. Then, and then he was assassinated by a Brahmin in Tamil Nadu. You know that is the story of Thomas. But, but ever since the beginning, the early Christianity, which begins from India, it was always, always under the Brahmins, occupied by the Brahmins, and uh, the upper so-called upper caste. And uh, uh, then there is a famous tradition called Denobili tradition in a. Uh, uh, Robert D. Nobili, one of Portuguese missionary who came to India. So his pictures are floating over there in churches. You can see he's wearing Janu and in Janu he's wearing cross. And Jan that is, Janu, that Janu, is, Janu is the sacred thread. The Lord, sacred thread, yeah, problems. that kind of the, means like that is the thread of caste supremacy. I am the supreme caste. That is the sign. And in that he's wearing the cross. So that is what indigenization uh, that perception of indigenization no not a single church i'm telling you not a single church i have never seen i grew up in the church when church sermons i hear i heard church sermons be it methodist or anglican or whatever whichever denomination i went in any church in india poverty glorification agenda poverty was being glorified and continues to be glorified. Oh, we are poor, so it's good. We should depend on. We should be dependent on God and blah blah blah. And it's good to be poor. You know, we will reach heaven. Means like means basically, if I want to become rich, I cannot become rich because I will go to hell if I become rich. That this poverty glorification sermons continues to float on the church, and so that's how the Christendom uh, idea has uh, taken another shape, and. Uh, the perception of RSS and all these people is that because Jesus is white and this is a white God. Jesus is the white God and uh, in their perception. And so British ruled India. East India Company ruled India for 250 years. So in the narrative they set is uh, against conversion which is which which uh, fulfills the uh, narrative against conversion that British rule is coming back. If you embrace this, this British religion, or this is this is religion of America now. So this religion, so this like uh, Brit uh, the white people will come back and colonize this. So if we embrace this, so that is another thing, and uh, this is the basic agenda. And second thing is. Rice bag. Now that has become a teaser. Rice bag. For the Indian Christians, they they troll rice bag. Now rice bag means rice bag, people is, rice bag is this uh, slur popularly used by internationalist adherents, yes. which basically is uh, thrown at anybody who is a Christian, whether they're a yeah. convert or not, that, oh, you're just a Christian because you sold your soul for a bag of rice. And that's the only yeah, reason. Bag of the rice. Yeah. So basically, this rice bag, rice bag story is simple. People were starving during the famine period. Christian missionaries came out of nowhere 
and they they distributed food they fed them so people saw their compassionate heart wow and they asked them no why are you doing this you you don't know us you know you don't belong to our kalam but still why are you using doing this they say like it's jesus who has asked us to feed the hungry That's as simple the, as in the case of your grandfather you know this this lady comes and she opens up this clinic this dispensary yeah. and she begins treating people and and people begin to realize and and ask her that oh she's doing this be, because she she loves jesus and that's why she's driven to 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 give but um as we uh begin to come to a little bit of a closing point of that uh, this is yes i want to add yeah, yeah. Go ahead, hold please. on hold on uh, sorry to stop you but there yeah, i want to add this rise back story when people were hungry starving uh, christian missionaries fed them food correct and that's why people became christian that is the narrative so they sold their souls to the whites that's that's uh, that's the narrative they are spreading but in this story people are not saying the main issue conversion is not a issue here issue is hunger when people were starving your own people were starving what were you doing why it required a christian missionaries from the west to come and feed them why didn't you do that your own you don't you didn't feed your own country people so hunger was the issue the hunger is the issue global hunger is the issue india ranks 113th today in global hunger no one is talking about that issue at all no so that is the thing so uh, uh, yeah so this is a what my grandfather uh, came with different story uh, he came to christ and i am still uh, christian uh, but i right now i have boundaries with the church i don't like uh, uh, the church because the uh, I, as i said when when, when we had this conversation begin about the christianity and christian dom and all so uh, whiteness feels threatened because uh, christian domian uh, narrative today feels threatened and just want to say like christian dome is never coming back it will never come back <laughs> so but uh, those uh, narrative those, those theological narratives uh feels uh threatened so that's why but anyways yeah please continue yeah sorry to interrupt you the, no i'm sorry to interrupt you uh, that's a fantastic point about well the main issue is, is the hunger why aren't these people being fed and as you mentioned i think india is number uh, 113 out of world countries in the global hunger, hunger index which i believe if i'm not mistaken has has dropped in the past several years and the audacity of the current regime in india is that instead of taking those catastrophic numbers and grappling with them and finding a solution for the hunger they actually spend their energies on arguing against the legitimacy of the ranking and our and and claiming that it's it's uh not true but that's fascinating and very disturbing what you've just shared about the whiteness the coloniality and i'm familiar with some of it uh, already myself you know i've been in indian christian homes and have seen pictures of jesus on the wall and i have asked them um you know why is it that you have a picture of white jesus on your wall um i've listened uh to some 
people talking in, in recent days about actually one of the beautiful things about the Christian religion in particular is that it is malleable to all cultures, that uh, certainly we know that Jesus was from Palestine, he was probably brown or maybe even black, but that besides that, that around the world over the past 2,000 years, we've seen this, where the Christian religion faith can be adapted uh, to every culture. You can have a black or a brown or, or, or a white Jesus. Or you can have a Jesus of any color. Now, this indigeneity um, and the, the claiming of um, the right of Indian Christians to direct an Indian church is, is such a beautiful story and hopefully will continue. Um, of course, unfortunately, as uh, I'm sure you're well aware, even today, um, outside of the coloniality aspect, there are, and I think many Christians outside of India have no understanding that this is the reality. In India, there are many churches which are still today segregated by caste. Um, you know, I've heard stories of, of upper caste and then lower caste churches or stories of churches where um, in, in in the same church, the the so-called upper castes and so-called lower castes are not allowed to share from the same communion cup or, or tray. Um, and I want to hopefully we can have more conversations in the future and, and maybe dig into some of those issues. Um, but as we begin to kind of come to a close um, and, and discuss a few more issues before we wrap up. You know, this faith of Christianity, it seems that it's particularly attractive in India to Dalits or people of so-called lower castes. Uh, is that true? I mean, who who generally is converting and why are they converting? Um, you know, and also, I mean, you've touched, so maybe this kind of answers this question. You've touched on your grandfather and what happened with him. But so how are these people usually being inspired to convert? I mean, do they encounter the idea or these days, how, how do they encounter the idea? Or these days, you know, is it is it mostly from outsiders or from their fellow countrymen? Well, uh, uh, Christianity, as far as I see, uh, conversions are happening and will continue to happen. Because the message of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ has power to emancipate people from the horrors of slavery, of any kind of slavery. That's the power of the message of Jesus Christ is. It's not just uh, uh, why people converted to different religions because uh, people wanted to people were fed up of the caste system and they wanted to emancipate themselves. It's like we cannot stay in this system because we are not treated as human beings as well. So, so they saw these faiths, Christian faiths and uh, uh, Muslims and even in 1800s era, the times of Mahatma Jyoti Bafule, and uh, that that was like uh, boom, people were becoming Christians. Even Brahmins were becoming Christians, and even uh, uh, and Dalits and OBCs. Most I think few of the OBC uh, caste became Christians, but not much OBCs. But Dalits, especially Dalits, have and today the good news is today's good news is all religions in India, majority religions which exist, Sikhism. Buddhism, 
then uh, Christianity and Islam. The good news about this religion, all these four four major religions, the 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 foot soldier of this religion is Dalit. All these four religions. Buddhism is alive because of Maharashtra, because of a, uh, because these Maharashtras, Ambedkar, they do Buddhist, 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 Dalits. They they have uh, take, uh, shielded this legacy of Ambedkar, this Buddhist legacy. Otherwise, north or you go to, towards northern, no one much cares about Buddha. But the the northern Maharashtra Ambedkar, the Vidarbha Ambedkar, Nagpur, and all this state, they 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 do a lot of Buddhism, Buddhism, Buddhism. They talk about a lot of Buddhism, you know. So these people are holding Buddhism, Buddhism legacy. Similarly, Christianity. You go to south, from Tamil Nadu to Kerala to Andhra to uh, to Orissa, uh, Orissa majority tribal have become Christians. Uh, uh, and then uh, in Andhra, you see Dalit. Dalits are Christians. Rohit Vemula. You see Rohit Vemula, the story of Rohit Vemula, which floated. Rohit Vemula was a Dalit. He was a Christian, by the way. Yeah, he was a Christian, by the way. Rohit Vemula, uh, or be it, um, uh, you, you see in Maharashtra, uh, uh, many Mahars or uh, many Balmikis or many other Dalit caste, people who which come in the Shadul caste, they are embracing Christianity. So, uh, even a Sikhism, I'm telling you Sikhism in Punjab. Sikhism is alive because of Majbi Sikhs, Ra Sikhs, and uh, of course, Ravidasiya, they be, they, the, the, that sect becomes separated. They said like, no, uh, we, uh, we, all of these communities yeah. being people who, yeah. are, who are from low caste or, or Dalit. Yeah, so because Sikhs. of them, uh, Sikhism is alive. Sikhism is not alive because of Khatris and Jats, the two upper castes. They, it is alive because of Majbis, uh, Ra Sikhs, and all this uh, Ramgadiya Sikhs, Saini Sikhs. Th these people are there. So because they are, they have hold it, holding up onto Sikh legacy, Guru Nanak's legacy, or Dasham Guru's legacy. So, and Islam, even Islam, I'm telling you, majority of the Islam Muslims are Dalits. The, and of course, a few of the OBCs as well, like Pasmanda, Julaha, Pasmanda community, that Julaha, they weavers, they, they are Muslims. Uh, and uh, you see Katiks or uh, Katik means that I don't know that is a caste, but uh, there are there are Qureshis in Islam. They do meat business. <laughs> so, <laughs> so meat business, meat selling business. So meat sellers, shop uh, that uh, uh, scrap dealers and all this community, labor class community, this is all Dalits and obviously the agrarian communities, they are holding on to these religions. And I am telling you, even Hinduism, Hinduism or Brahminism, what is called, it is alive because of Dalit. And one community which is called as Balmiki community, the, the sanitation work community, that is the most, even not even OBC, the, the most proudest Hindu today who is willing to fight for Hinduism or whatever, like Hindutva and food soldier, is Balmiki. The sanitation worker. The fight the foot soldiers I'm talking about. This paramilitary you call RSS, RSS they, the Brahmins don't fight. Yes. Mohan Bhagwat will, won't come and uh, fight you. Fight a war or something. He will make other, others fight. They will make others fight. 
So Dalits fighting Dalits, OBCs fighting OBCs, these, these Bahujans fighting with each other in this Hindutva and uh, Islam, uh, whatever, the Islamophobia or whatever, whatever things are happening. We, our agrarian communities become victim of that and we fight each other. Because there is no sense of brother, brotherhood because caste barriers have there. So that's why I'm saying uh, my my attempt and my experiment was become successful. Like we had Ambedkar, uh, Ambedkar's anniversary, Baba Sahib Ambedkar's birth anniversary last year in 2023. It was an interfaith gathering. We had one common hero, Ambedkar. Muslims, Buddhist, Ravidasya Sikhs, Christians. We all came together because we are Ambedkarites first. So that's we identity and narrative we have gained. And so that's a power of that interface. So uh, uh, that's the thing. So that's why conversions are happening and it will continue to happen. No one can stop this because uh, even though you try to beat up people, you lynch people, whatever you want to do, do. People have freedom of expression and they will continue to they have freedom of choice. They will make choice. You cannot stop people from doing anything. Do whatever. You want to do gharvapsi, do gharvapsi. No. They will go to your ghar. They will go back to your home for a few days. They will impress you and they will come. Yes. So, wow. so, like, <laughs> so, because uh, it's option, no. See, if, if anyone's, okay, if anyone comes to me, to, to do a garvapsi. I'm a, and, and okay. I just I, I just want to interject uh, for our listeners. Garvapsi is this idea. Homecoming it basically means homecoming. It's it's this thing that happens in India, which is termed as like a reconversion, where basically these Hindu nationalist elements target communities that have converted from Hinduism to another religion, or even sometimes people that uh, they're not converts, maybe they're even just born in that religion, and they go out and they attempt to uh, do a so-called reconversion to bring them uh, in a homecoming back into the Hindu fold, oftentimes forcibly. Yeah, so Gharvapsi, what I'm saying, okay, you want to do my Gharvapsi, do it, okay. But my question will be, or question would be, okay, I'm I'm coming to your home. Okay, I will come to you. I'll become Hindu. Okay, fine. I'll do it. But what caste will I convert to? If I if if you're appointing me a Shankaracharya of, of, of all four muts, I'm willing to become a Hindu. I'll become a head priest, most high priest. That's that will be my demand. If if someone comes to me at for Garbapsi. I, I need at least Tirupati <laughs> rich temples. No, I need to become the head priest of that big rich temple <laughs> so that I could use all that money and fight the world hunger. At least I will distribute, I will use all that money from the temples and I will do that. Because I am I'm quoting Bada Sahib Thakre's father. Prabodhankar Thakre was a disciple of Baba Sahib Ambedagar. You know, he, he said like uh, take out the temple funds and distribute to the public because it is necessary. So, I am not saying this. Uh, Prabodhankar Thakre, the grandfather of Uddhav Thakre, former chief minister of Maharashtra, he said this. He wrote this in his book, Dharmachi Devade in Marathi. But anyways, so, those are the things. Of course, uh, yeah, so, uh, that has been the journey, uh, the journey of being a 
uh, a Christian, uh, not yeah, a Christian who is a mahar and uh, and a proud mahar and uh, worked uh, a, for like thirteen years, I think, in in India uh, in the civil rights movement, and so uh, that has been an amazing journey, and this journey continues, you know. Well, as because I am not the one, because uh, I believe the one who is a who calls himself Christian or follower of Christ or family of Christ, he's always one with the one, so one with the one. So this has been my journey. So and this journey will continue unless and until he says put it. <laughs> well, I really appreciate uh, that, Obed, and it, it's a fantastic. If, very interesting uh, journey, uh, certainly far different from that which uh, most people here in the West, most Americans uh, born and raised in the, in the U.S. Are, are familiar with. And I, I really appreciate you um, offering some some insight uh, to what that journey has been like for you and, and to what's going on in India and to this whole issue of the caste paradigm, the, the, the conversion issues, the practice of uh, Christianity, especially in the indigenous Christianity in India, you know, that that was a wonderful, beautiful way that you put it about so this idea of being of the garvapsi of the reconversion to to Hinduism. Is that if you want, if somebody wants to come and do garvapsi on you and reconvert you to Hinduism, okay, as long as they agree that when they do so, they're going to put you as the highest caste in control of all of these Hindu temples, so you can do what uh, we should be doing, whatever faith. Uh, you follow what we should all be doing fundamentally as as humans is using that wealth to uplift uh the the poorest of the poor among us um i just have i have so many things that i really wanted to touch on with you i think we're going to have to get back to another conversation because there's as i'm talking with you there is just too much because you are too informative you are too inspiring and uh, you are, uh, there's just too much to unpack with you. Uh, I wanted to touch on Dalit theology and your grandfather's relationship to that. I definitely want to touch on this issue of uh, your thesis that you did for your PhD, the tale of two Mahatmas of India. I know one of those Mahatmas was this man from the 19th century, uh, Jyoti Rapule, who we just commemorated about a week ago, the anniversary of the birth of Jyoti Rapule's wife, Savito Bai, I believe, uh, who was a key figure in India from the 19th century in women's empowerment and in educating, um, especially young women, but uh, women from disadvantaged, marginalized, so-called low-caste backgrounds. But I do want to, before I, I uh, before we take leave, I did want to ask you a couple of quick questions, one and two. One is this issue of English. Now, you don't speak English <laughs> as your mother tongue. Obviously, you're quite fluent in it. Uh, you speak Marathi uh, from uh, from growing up. Um, many Dalit scholars that I've encountered, they've talked about this issue of English and learning English as somehow being uh, an emancipatory effort for the Dalit community or for the lower castes, so-called lower castes. And I want to hear your perspective on that. And when and how did you learn English? Um, and how did it help you or, or did it help you? Um, and how do you perceive just the 
general issue of learning English in context of this anti-caste struggle? That's my one question before my last. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I, of course, English is not my mother tongue, and uh, but uh, now English, in my opinion, is Indian language now. See, whichever language exists for like more than 200, 300 years, it becomes that country's language. So we don't we don't speak British English. We speak Indian English now. We have Indian accents. We have Indian accents. We 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 speak our own English. So so, but again <laughs> again, I, if I see English has been emancipated, that is correct. My upbringing uh, because I studied in convent school, Christian convent school, Catholic schools. So since my grade one to ten. So that my whole uh, teachers, they will teach in English. They will speak English. They will teach in English language, uh, whichever subject they are teaching, from from maths to geometry, uh, geography or science or whatever. So all the subjects were in English. So textbooks were in English. So we, that's how I know, because from the childhood, since grade 10. So that's how I, uh, I learned English. And uh, then my writing, all my uh, graduation, post-graduation, then uh, PhD, it's all in English, English medium. So English has been an emancipatory because uh, there is a craze of uh, learning English. And right now, uh, even in the society, I whenever there is a season for new admissions in the school, I get calls. Brother, because they know I'm Christian, brother, do you know principal of this school? We need admission for our kid. I said, why are you picking up Christian schools only? Why don't you pick up Hindi medium school, Marathi medium school? There are schools, government granted school. Why don't you go there? It's, no, we want there. Why? Number one, discipline. Discipline of the Catholic schools. They are number one in discipline. No one can beat that. Although there are private schools opened by many, uh, even RSS associated people and all that. So the they, politicians have also uh, have their schools and all. The institutions exist. But the, the beauty of the Christian schools, discipline, manners, and all that uh, moral science, you know, that uh, including English language, that with English, this all comes. Discipline, manners, and they teach you moral science. English. The moral science, yeah, the ethics. So this uh, you can get only in Christian schools in India. Nowhere, I I haven't seen any other uh, school uh, this kind of uh, that beauty. So that's what the beauty, that's why there is a craze for Christian schools. And uh, so that's why people want to study English. And English has been an emancipatory because when British colonized India and uh, that story, and uh, when Macaulay, Thomas Babington Macaulay introduced English things and all, so it was a colonial agenda. It was a colonial agenda to colonize the youths. 
train them into british something you know britishian or to to train british brains in indian skin that was the agenda uh, the colonial brain in indian skin but 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 the obcs the dalits especially dalits who were being marginalized from education they never they were never, never had access to sanskrit they never had access to literature all we survived through songs and poetry poetry in our own uh, script like tukaram wrote in his his times of marathi uh, something guru ravidas wrote on uh, uh, you know that uh, uh, on leather on leather skin he he used to he was a cobbler so he used to he used to write in that in leather plates you know guru kabir was like he used to weave and sing and uh, somehow he wrote on on his clothings and something so we we you see all the saints so we never had a pen and paper thing that access to the education at all and if we try to speak sanskrit they will they will cut off our tongues and they will kill us so what to do and maculis program <laughs> this maculis program is basically of course macule was a colonizer i say and i don't justify colonialism but macule was our savior in my opinion because we we got access to the schools we got access to the english but i don't justify what macule was correct or whatever but this wrong thing of british whatever they did become good for us and we got access our whole ancestry got access english education and we phule comes in mahatma phule comes from the convent school no christian school you know so he studied in english, christian mission school no savitribai phule you talked about savitribai phule was trained by cynthia farrar she was trained by cynthia farrar christian, uh, american christian mission not british american christian missionary first ever american christian missionary uh, teenager but who came in a teenage uh, in a very young age single lady i found her too she is buried in a, i think in, i think she, uh, i need to check the place in america her tomb is there so uh, she 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 died in ahmednagar she plant, she started planting schools and phule saw that i'm telling you mahatma phule saw that when he went to ahmednagar in, in her town uh, from, far from pune uh, that town is very far so he 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 just went for some another trip he casually to meet some people and he saw that and he says to his friend sadashiv govande bro i feel so ashamed yaar this woman flew across the seven seas and for my girls and i need to connect with this lady i need to learn how to run schools school administration fully learned school administration then he said to savitri bai come let's learn from her they they took lessons from her how to run the school english medium schools or whatever and they took the christian missionaries uh, they adapted christian missionaries model plant schools so that's how savitri bai phule planted first ever girl school uh, phule mahatma phule and both couple they planted first ever girl school on 1st january 1848 3rd january was her birthday savitri bai phule's birthday that my research is on mahatma phule and gandhi on tale of two mahatmas but we'll we can talk about it later but uh, so uh, but that's uh, that's very emancipated english emancipated women our women 
our women were didn't even exist in the but women first girls school which was planted like they were like four four girls the smartest girl ever uh, produced for she started first ever girl school uh, with four girls savitri bai one of them was anandi ben joshi first ever doctor medical practitioner who went abroad anandi ben joshi mukta sarve she wrote an essay after that she her, her essay is uh, is brilliant not a single academician of today can compare like the way the depth she has written in that essay is like equivalent to thesis mukta salvena rishi you google it she 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 explains her pain and misery what they go through and and she 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 writes with a hope that what is the hope for me so those are the bright student there so english i'm talking about english english has been so uh, pro- professor kancha elai shepherd he calls her, he called many times english as our goddess <laughs> i don't agree with the term goddess but but fine english is there and he's he he calls himself shepherd now you know he said i am using english name kancha elai shepherd so shepherd means his caste is dhangar dhangar community they are they are shepherd in english they they, they do shepherding they do herding uh, not herding yes. cattle herding yeah yeah so he calls him a shepherd so if someone is kunbi he he is suggesting that to have english surnames like someone is kunbi who is tilling the land so you are farmer so we can see people in america you know farmer with with farmer broom i i have met a guy named broom whose last name was broom in america white guy his name is broom last name is broom you know i met one person his his uh, last name is farmer so why can't uh, why can't we say we call ourselves cobblers mahar can be soldier <laughs> because we are mahar battalion so mahar soldier you know obed the soldier <laughs> i can call myself obed soldier you know so these english names are really emancipatory it helps you to dismantle the layers of the caste system and that uh, caste abusive surnames which gave and uh, only six did it the name uh, revolution at the time dasham guru uh, and uh, especially guru gobind singh he led a revolution of names singh and kaur because we had bad surnames very demeaning surnames derogatory oh, wait, 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 with the caste is always attached to the surname with the surnames yeah. with the yeah. surnames with the last names periyar uh, in modern times uh, in tamil nadu did that uh, uh, dismantling the last names like you should not use the last periyar movement did that you should dismantle last names uh, so that you cannot be identified with your caste and uh, sikh movement the sikhism they did an amazing job like guru gobind singh just when he formed khalsa he said like you are khalsas you should men would be singhs and women will be kaur singh means lion and women are princess so kaur kaur means princess so lion and princess call yourself but that's the irony then caste entered sikhism and all that then people started using their last names no this thing that this thing that no so that is anyways i am not getting into that but but i'm telling you that english and the, this name change and all that this is happening and this has been an emancipator so yeah so i'm not justifying colonialism here i really uh, that whiteness thing is really horrible it's a horror which rules the church uh, american church today and uh, i 
I have seen that. I have experienced that. And so that's why I have, I'm having boundaries with the church because church doesn't care anymore about us, about the about the things happening with the immigrants and all. So church is always the diversity agenda of the church is always like you have a you have a Macaulay's kind of program there. Means with so train a white brain with brown and black skin. That is happening in the church. That's a diversity. To believe in the white theology and to manipulate the white theology. So that's white centric, but all will be diverse. See how beautiful we are. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Obed, so much for that. Um, and next time we come back, really want to delve into some of these issues more deeply with you about Pule, of course, as, as you were discussing, and this issue of English and what is meant uh, for the emancipation of uh, these downtrodden people in India, especially tracing back to the first school for girls being taught in English, apparently. And uh, in India. And uh, then love to touch more on the issue of Ambedkar, Ambedkarism, your civil rights activities in India, your immigration journey, and so much more, which is still left to uncover and, and delve into. Um, but just as, as we go, I wanted to ask you if you have any last thoughts for our listeners, anything that's on, on, on your mind um, as we go. Well, uh, what I would say to my listeners that uh, never ever stop dreaming. Keep dreaming. And uh, dreams is not just daydreaming, I'm saying. Dream, not, not, don't just pick one dream. Dream multiple times. Have multiple dreams. Have multiple, have your multiple goals in life, not just one goal. Because if you if you dream about three goals to achieve, three things you have to aim. So at least you will you will you will fulfill one, you will be contented. Fine, I did one. If if one doesn't work, at least there is a backup. Fine. I I wanted to become this, but I can. So never, never, ever stop dreaming and keep, you know, uh, so keep proclaiming the truth and never forget the roots. Now, the God of all nations will turn down the shekels of caste and race and horrors in this world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Obed Manwatkar, and we look forward to hearing more of your, your wisdom, your story in, in the near future. Take care and, and bless you. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and follow for more to come as we look forward to dialoguing once again on DOSA.